Alistair and I uh, spent the last week in bed <laughs> with some kind of um, bug, but it wasn't uh, we got it wasn't COVID. We went and got a PCR test for it. We're better now, um, and it wasn't flu, so we don't know what it was. <laughs> but. Uh, So I'm, I'm sitting here feeling a little bit disconnected from the community and uh, completely unsure what I'm going to talk about. <laughs> so I picked up a, a book that I find very inspirational that I may peek into. But one of the things that has come up uh, for me in the past couple of months, actually, is, uh, is, is the benefit of the training and uh, the oddity of a lay training that's based on monastic uh, teachers and influences, monasteries. So, as probably everyone in the room knows, we're associated very, very closely with the Abayagiri, so a Theravadan Thai forest uh, community. And uh, we have monks visiting us throughout the year. Ajahn Pasana will be here in June. Ajahn Kurnodama will be here yet unscheduled, but he'll be here. Um, possibly a couple of other monks from the Abayagiri community. And um, we also go out to um, the Pacific Hermitage, which is also associated with Abayagiri. Monastics live at the Hermitage. That's out at, uh, in the gorge, um, white salmon to be exact. And we pay particular attention to the training that they've had and the training that they give to lay people. So if you're not very exposed to the monastic system of which we are trained through and uh, continue to have deep respect and enormous support from, to and from, uh, then some of our little bits and bobs may seem odd to you. As I was listening to a Dhamma talk by Ajahn Pasano this morning, and he was talking about uh, how the Buddha, there's actually a sutta which I was unable to locate, but there's a sutta where the Buddha talks about uh, the benefit for um, anybody taking under this training to train the mind so that they too may fully realize Nibbana, fully realize uh, freedom from all that makes them suffer. There's a benefit that comes in the training about respect. And, uh, and he spoke of a simile um, about how uh, this benefit kind of plays out in a very 
uh, simple way to imagine it is he talks about, he gives a simile about <clears throat> there's a elephant, a monkey, and I don't remember what the bird was, so I'll just say it was a quail, some smaller bird. And uh, they're good friends, they're living together, they're practicing together, and then as time goes on, their views and opinions start to conflict, and they're not getting along very well. And they're like, they're realizing, they're wise enough to realize that this is getting in our way. And so they agree that they need to assign somebody uh, a system of hierarchy so that I'll listen, I'll, I'll respect you, and, uh, and, then, and then you, and then you, and then put their own, the, the, they find, they agree that putting their own views and opinions aside is the only way that they're going to actually get along as a community and continue to practice together. And so they talk about how, how are we going to do this? And, and then they, they discuss, well, maybe, maybe we go with the one who has the most advanced understanding. Now, yeah, well, how do you tell that? Uh, I have a view about that. I have an opinion. <laughs> no, that's not going to work. Uh, so they discuss this among them. They decide, let's just do it by who's ever oldest. And, and this is actually what the Buddha did. This, this same, he came to the same conclusion is we will go with who's ever old, oldest. And that's how the hierarchy goes as far as respect goes. So if you're ordained, just I'll get back to that story in a moment. But if you're ordained for, you know, if you find out that you're one day ordained earlier than the next monk, then that monk sits, I believe it's to your right. And, and so on, even if it's an hour. It's not about who's has nothing to do with who's more advanced than who, or who's uh, you know, more important, who's got more money, or you know, the usual Western mindset for competing against each other and trying to figure out where you stand amongst people doesn't apply. So it allows, anyway, we'll go down that pike in a minute, but so that so they decided to we'll just go with who's the oldest so how do how do we decide who's the oldest well let's take that tree that we sit under so this is again the elephant the monkey i can't remember did i say a monkey <laughs> the elephant the monkey and the bird let's say let's look at that tree who has the most distance memory of that tree and the elephant says oh i i can remember when I was a junior, very small or young elephant that I used to be able to walk over that tree and it would tickle my tummy. And, and the monkey said, oh, I remember when it was just coming up from the ground and I used to eat, pick the little leaves because they were very succulent. So, so he was, he could remember a little older and the, and the bird said, well, I can remember eating berries off that tree over there coming over here, having a poop <laughs> and watching that tree, you know, was fertile, well fertilized and watching it begin to grow. So it was the bird, they all agreed. You're the eldest, we will respect you and we'll put down our views and opinions. And they got along and then they could discuss with each other. They, they put their views and opinions aside based on this one little 
bit of structure that had nothing to do with who was actually wisest or who was smartest or who was biggest or anything like that. It, they were able to drop their sense of competition, their, their need to establish a place in comparison to those around them, and then they could discuss, you know, what is really, what, what's the consequences of the decisions that we make together. And that's what we do here at the center as well. Um, we have a work party today after our services here. And uh, it entails, it's, a, it's, it's simple. It's, it entails cleaning an area that is in desperate need of being organized. So it's, you know, how many people's basements or garages are full of junk and and uh, or chaos? Ours, ours is. <laughs> so we have a number of people that will be going down there to work on this uh, room that's really full of chaos, and we each one of us will bring our view and opinion and how it should be done. And there's a huge benefit if we're able to take this as a training, as a huge benefit of setting our views and opinions down and just going with whoever it is that's directing the event, that's directing the day, going, going along with them, putting down our own need to establish, I'm, I know better, you know, and taking that as a practice, the benefit of this is it allows us an opportunity to see what habits we have that get in our way of listening to others around us, or seeing what actually needs to be done or is helpful. Because we have a habit of, we can have a habit of wanting our opinion to be known I have a better way. So I'd like to suggest, well, if it hasn't been asked for, it take this as an opportunity to train the mind so that we can see what our habits are. So I'll give a little illustration because when we can't see our habits, we don't have access to understanding what it is that we do that causes us to suffer, what it is that we do that gives us um, or that gets in the way of us really understanding the people around us, the benefits around us can be missed. So I'll give an example, and many of you have heard this story before. Uh, and there's some new people here that haven't. So this will be your first time. If you come back, you may hear it a second or a third <laughs> over the years. But um, I had gone through a period where uh, I hadn't spoken to my mother for about seven years. And uh, she was in need of back surgery. Then at this time, she was 83 years old. And after back surgery, she needed a place to live for about three weeks until she was stable enough to get back to her own apartment. And I was the 
person in the family that lived closest to her. I lived, in, I was the only one at the time that lived in the same city, actually. And I resented having to be the one to take her. And uh, because in my mind, growing up and being a teenager and a young adult and all of this, in my mind, uh, she was a particular person that I had particular perceptions about, and I could no longer see who she was uh, in the, at this time. I was born and I was raised Catholic, and she was a very, very devout Catholic. And um, I was exploring Buddhism. I was actually deeply into it. I was in training to be a lay minister, which was a three-year program with Abaya Gary. And, uh, and all of this she objected to. And so I just never brought it up to her and I, I resented. And all of those past perceptions of things that I didn't like about her would come up in support of my resentment for having to be the one to house her for three weeks and take care of her and bathe her. And oh my gosh, I just really didn't want to do this. So my perceptions from the past would come up and as a validation of uh, a habit I had built, this is who this person is and I don't want anything to do with her. Well, my training, I talked to my, <laughs> I, I talked to my teacher about this and it's like, you are to respect your mother and father. It doesn't matter the past. They brought you into this life you owe your life to them. They're your elder. You must take care of them and blah, 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 blah. So, okay, I'll, I'll do this if I must. <laughs> and don't, don't do it with resentment. Do it with the, with the mindset of this is my training. See what you're going to learn. And so I, she came to my home. I took care of her. Um, I surrounded my mental attitude, uh, mental habits with the acknowledgement of this is training, see what happens, you know, see what comes up, see what habits you might be able to drop. And so, and I found it much easier coming into it from this place because I loved the training and I really appreciated the training I was getting from the monastics. So I found this really quite interesting that I'm, I'm not resenting her because this is an opportunity to train. So this is great. Thanks, mom. That was the feeling that was internal. And so with that, I felt I really wanted to share with her more my practice, but I was hesitant because she really was, she thought that I would go to hell because I didn't believe in Christ as the Son of God and, you know, as my Savior and all of this. And so I was very nervous about bringing this up. So I, I, I didn't say anything, but I was in, actually enjoying taking care of her and watching this habit of perception of resentment would kind of tickle my awareness, you know, kind of, oh, here it comes. And it's like, no, no, no. That's just habit. I want to see her as she is today. She needs my help. 
And it felt good. This feels good to give her my help. So I wasn't able to stop these habits from arising because they were strong habits of perceiving her in a particular way. But I was able to not engage with them because of my attitude of this is training, this is training, this is something I love, this is okay. So on her very last day, we're sitting in the kitchen. Now she can get up and what well, wasn't her last day, it was second to the last day. We're sitting in the kitchen and we're having breakfast together. And she kind of looks at me kind of funny and she, she points over here and I look over and on my kitchen counter, there's a trail of ants marching along. And, and she, she said, oh, do you have some raid? I'll, I'll clean those up for you. I said, no, 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 I'll, I'll show you what I do. And so I get a piece of paper and a, and a pastry brush and I brush them onto the paper and I take them outside. And I have to do this about seven, eight times to get all the ants and I take them outside. And I had double, doors right there off the kitchen that led out into the garden. So took them out and she just started giggling and she going, you know, it really would be simpler for me to just get some raid. And I said, no, no, that's part of my training is that I do not kill. That's my first precept. I do not kill. And so she asked me, you know, well, what are, what are your other, what are the other four? So I told her about my training and she kind of sat up and she said, you know, if you did, if you really did follow all of these precepts, you would actually be following the Ten Commandments. I said, yeah. And then we started talking about the Ten Commandments, the five precepts, the, you know, what we loved about our particular spiritual leanings and the similarities then. And we really bonded over this. So the, the next morning, uh, it's the last morning that she's going to be there. And I get up and by now she's actually up before I am, she's up. And I come into the kitchen and she turns around with this funny little look on her face. And I see she has a piece of paper and a pastry brush. And she walks past me and she winks and she goes, you know, you're a much better Christian as a Buddhist than you ever were as a Catholic. <laughs> Yeah, so that just altered uh, my perception. And it brings up in my heart, even today, love, appreciation, respect for my mother who's no longer living. Um, and if I hadn't had that opportunity to train, I wouldn't be sitting here relating a story to you and feeling love and gratitude for my mother. I am so grateful for the training that involves respect. It has nothing to do with who's better than another or how to figure out our place in comparison. But it has to do with understanding what we do in our minds that makes us suffer and how we can actually address that. I don't suffer when I think about my mother anymore. I feel love and I feel happiness and gratitude. And that's what this training can do for us.
there's this little piece by um, Ajahn Sumedho, I mean, uh, Ajahn Suchito, that, I, that I'll read that has to do with this. This is what actually I did. Go downstairs, open a book, like maybe I'll get something, get inspired by something. <laughs> and so this is what it did inspire me. So I'll, I'm going to read this little bit about working with perceptions. It's called, um, it's in the book, Parami, Ways to Cross the Life's, Ways to Cross Life's Floods. It's in a chapter, Innate Clarity, and the title of this little bit, I won't read the whole thing, is called Realization, the flower, Flowering of Wisdom. We see with insight, <clears throat> What we see with insight is that all our aversions, our greed, or our worry cluster around perceptions or impressions that we have. They're not innate. They're not self. For instance, when you dislike a person, the person in your mind is actually an accumulation of various impressions that irritate you. The perceptions that do otherwise are screened out. You don't remember that person's suffering virtue or nobility. You remember their tardiness, their greediness, or their lack of cooperation. In this way, you build up a picture of a person based on a few perceptions. But if you step out of that through calming the mind, you investigate and acknowledge the things you weren't noticing. Then it's clear that this isn't a person. This is an impression of them I have created out of aversion. And as you look into that, you learn what your own mind can't tolerate. And as long as that remains the case, you are allowing that picture to have power over you. You inquire, how has my mind gathered together this particular image? How has my mind gathered together this particular image? And then you begin to understand that such perceptions are selective impressions based on pain and not on being in touch with or not being able to handle the wave of pain. So it gets stuck within us and it can't pass. We're sensitive and don't like irritating things, but if we're not wise enough to acknowledge and let go, if we ignorantly shield ourselves from that irritation, these irritants get embedded into anxiety and aversion. You only get past them by looking into them, into how they're caused and letting them pass through you. A story may be useful here. It concerns the man who, as an as an enormous act of generosity, gave the Sangha at Chittawaka, or Chittahurst, a stretch of woodland. He did so also because he wanted the woodland to be regenerated and managed carefully, and he had ideas about how that would happen. However, on examination, no one else felt his ideas were practical. But because he was very much an idea person, he was so disappointed that he couldn't come to the monastery for 18 years. Instead, he spent 18 years sitting at home worrying. So during that time, all the people with whom he had been in contact about the woodland became figures of aversion for him. Both the monks in the monastery and the trust directors. He finally managed to break through this stalemate and he actually came to the monastery to check things out. Somebody took him for a walk in the real woods, not the imagined ones, not the idea of the woods. And he saw how beautiful it was. He said, I've, I've been worrying about how wrong it was for 18 years. 
and it's also perfect. It wasn't the way he wanted it, but he got to see that things didn't have to go in accordance with his ideas, and he gave a big, joyful smile. You could see a huge mass of anxiety and sourness falling off like a terrible scab from the wound inflicted by clinging to ideas, and underneath that, he was fresh and joyful. That's what realization is all about. That, that feeling that we've all have had it, that feeling of release, of relief. Oh, that's a, it's actually not as bad as I thought, or that person didn't, wasn't upset with me, or I didn't actually ruin their day, or when we actually come up right to that gate, where a perception that we've held that we, that we suffered with is proved to be false. We just relax. And that's what happens as we go through our training. You know, accept the consequences of setting down our burdens and letting release be known letting realization of what actually is happening, what's actually true, be present for us to experience. That they can't be present when we cling to our ideas and we're not, because we're then not present for what's actually happening in this moment. We're, we're clinging to consequences of the past, which also can kind of jump over the present and say, warning, 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 <laughs> this person is about to call you, or they're, they're, they're texting me, I see the little dot, dot, dot. <laughs> I don't, and then this, these perceptions from the past can come in and say, oh my God, no, 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 or aversion, or exuberance of what we think they're going to say, clinging on to these past habits of perceptions means we aren't present for the present and what they're actually calling about. So letting down the burden means we acknowledge we have habits. I, re I just read somewhere, I can't, don't remember who, who, who this quote comes from, but see if I can remember to say it correctly. I thought it was really good. First, oh gosh, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm not, something about habits. First we create our habits and then our habits create us. I thought that was really good. <laughs> it's like, yeah. So paying attention until we can actually see what the habits are that we create and acknowledge them and put them down if we if we just running on those created habits we can't see or we don't have access to the knowledge of what habits we could pick up that would lead us toward a happier life first we create our habits and then our habits create us we want to stop that cycle actually at some point <laughs> but in the meantime create habits to bring you happiness and bring happiness to those around you. 
And eventually we'll be able to set those ones down too and just live in the present moment.